What aspect of church do you look forward to the most? Amen. <laughs> I was hoping someone would say that, but I do hope that you would say, boy, I love those sermons. To some, you might say, boy, I just love the music. And don't we thank God for the wonderful music here? Praise God. I praise God. It's not easy, I'll tell you what. They work hard at it. Others might say, boy, I just love the connections that I get at church. I kind of sort of sit in the same place. I meet wonderful people. We share our prayer requests, answers to prayer. It's just neat to connect. That fellowship is just something I really look forward to. Others might say, I'll tell you one thing, I can't think of a better place to raise my family and just to raise them in a place, a godly place. And I agree, that's a good thing. Others might say, well, for me, honestly, it's just a, a a much-needed respite, just to be distanced from the pressures of life, to just for a moment get away from the junk and the stuff of the world, just to be able to come. It's just a wonderful thing to be in church. And I agree those are all great reasons to come. But I would suggest this morning that if we really understood Scripture, perhaps the first reason why we should come to church is so that we might be able to participate in the offering time. Did you know that in Scripture, the first recorded act of worship, do you know what it is? It is giving. When you read through the Old Testament, you realize how many offerings, this offering and this offering and this offering. The fact of the matter is, offerings and giving to offerings are a huge part of God's mindset and his economy. But why not? Because that's his nature. He is a giving, giving deity. He is not a taking deity. He is a giving God. Did you know that giving is the number one most direct pipeline to blessing in our life? Number one. In fact, you will not, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more direct promise in Scripture than some of the ones we'll see today. And all throughout Scripture, God reminds us, if you want to see a tangible blessing in your life, then give an offering. God just says it's like a, and as we'll see in a little bit, it is a law. This and this alone should cause us just to line up for the opportunity to give to the offering. And yet so many people in fact, so many Christians miss the mindset of giving. They sense that the giving time is just, you know, something we throw in there or whatever. But folks, it is a tremendous moment to worship the Lord. I don't think anybody ought to ever put an offering envelope in that, that plate or whatever you do online. But I don't think any of us ought to ever do it without just saying, thank you, Lord. Just thank you. It is an offering. Today we're going to talk about giving. No, we're going to talk about genuine giving. No, let's just be clear about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the theology behind giving. There's a tremendous biblical theology about giving, and I look forward to what we're going to talk about today. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, would you give us each one minds that are connected to your word? Holy Spirit, 
teach us deep, calls to deep, and deep people, Lord, will appreciate this message. And I pray that, Lord, you'll speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians. If you want to get a head start, we're going to go to chapter 8. By the way, just a reminder, write these things down, jot them down somewhere. You give them a piece of paper or use our app. That's a great way to do it because you can fill them out as we go along. And just you can log right into the Wi-Fi here. And I think the password is Be My Guest. I heard this morning, right, Brother Carrie? And uh, write that down and uh, to get those there. But it's so important to keep it in our mind. We're going to talk about the city of Corinth for a moment. No city was any more important in all of the Roman Empire than the city of Corinth. It was much bigger than certainly than Athens at that time. It is the most traveled route from the east to the west. It was noted for its incredible culture. It was noted for its amazing commerce, but it was also a great place of moral corruption. Everybody knew what a Corinthian girl was. Everybody knew what it meant to have a Corinthian feast. It was the depth of both luxury and certainly license. It was the Las Vegas of the day, as Pastor Luke mentioned earlier, or the San Francisco of the day. But, and yet, strangely enough, in this crazy place, God raised up this wonderful church. And as you might imagine, with all these gifted businessmen and all these people who were in the entertainment business and whatever else that was going on there, this church was a very talented church. And yet they struggled in one area. They were great here, great here, but they struggled with giving. And so the Apostle Paul says, okay, we have got to settle some principles about giving everybody needs to know. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, the whole of chapter 8 is amazing, but we're going to talk about just one little section here, and that is four arguments to stir up the church to genuine giving. First of all, genuine giving, real giving, Christian giving, generous giving is managed by diligence. You got to put your shoulder to the plow. You got to put some effort into this thing. Verse number seven, therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith, these people were full of faith. I mean, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. This folk, these people were people of great faith. In utterance, they loved preaching. <laughs> Man, they loved preaching. And in knowledge, they loved studying the Bible. And in all diligence, they were hardworking people. And they're loving, he said, you're loved to us. Now see that ye abound in this grace also. He said, you guys are an amazing church. And I appreciate Paul, you know, letting them know all the good things they're doing. But he said, despite all these things, don't be a spiritual snob. It is no, all of these things are no substitute for giving. Now, if I can be upfront and frank with you just for a moment, we have had attenders in our church in the past, and they're nice people, but frankly, they are spiritual snobs. <laughs> and that is... Here's why I say that, because if I would preach about love or if I would preach about grace, they loved it. But boy, you start preaching about giving, and somehow they felt like that was kind of beneath their dignity. 
you shouldn't have to preach about giving or if it's, it's just a minor thing, it's not that important. Let's talk about the bigger things and the more important things. Well, I will tell you, the Apostle Paul addresses that mindset right up front here. He said, frankly, you can't get any deeper than being a giver. That, you may study the Bible, you might be good in service, but he said, if you're not a giver, you're missing the point. Verse number eight, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the frowardness of others. He said, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Now he said basically what he's saying here, and I'm not going to beat you up about the matter, but the fact of the matter is, if you love Jesus, you're going to give. Why? So that the ministry can be supported. He said, prove your love. Everybody's got to talk, but make sure that your walk matches your talk for the Lord. Now let's go over back to the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6, because here he talks about this principle of giving again, the first time he talked to them. And he gave this principle about why it's important to be diligent and get behind the ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6, or only I and Barnabas having not we power to forbear working. So Paul had a ministry team. It was him, it was Barnabas, there were others. And he said, because we're in the ministry, we have the God-given right or maybe authority to not have to work. Uh, we don't have to uh, go out and make tents or whatever we're doing because we're in the ministry. And therefore, we should be supported by the ministry. And then he gives a principle, verse number seven. Uh, let me tell you why this is such. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? He said, look, when, you, when a soldier serves his government, the government pays his salary. If you plant a vineyard, you'd be silly and crazy not to eat from that vineyard. It's your right because you have done the work in that vineyard. He said, who tends a flock and doesn't use or drink the milk from the flock? He said, it only makes sense. Verse 9, and then he gives an Old Testament uh, substantiation for this. Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God care for the oxen? Now, he takes an analogy from the law. And by the way, in verse number 10, he gives a principle of, uh, of interpretation. And that is how that the Old Testament fits in to what we're doing. And he even says, do you think God was concerned about the oxen there? <laughs> the point being, this is meaning something more than oxen. And in this verse, he is likening a pastor to an ox. Not that I'm especially liking that, but uh, that's exactly what it is. Amen. I admit that uh, sometimes we pastors can kind of get a little uh, hardworking or long-winded or something. I read this story uh, this week about a pastor who was known for his very lengthy sermons. I mean, he was so long-winded. During the message, he noticed a man get up and leave towards the middle of the message. And just before the conclusion of the service, he came back pastor was a little irritated, and he said, what in the world? Where did you go? He said, I had to go get a haircut. <laughs> so why, did, why didn't you do that before the service? He said, I didn't need one then. <laughs> 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 some, some pastors get along, I'll agree. 
So he said, now Paul said, look, I'm like an ox. And when you have an ox, you let him uh, tread out that corn and grind it down. And you don't muzzle it. You let him eat some of it. And uh, that's the way it works. It would be silly. It would be terrible to do that to the oxen. Now, verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And I like that part, even so, because I hear people all the time say, well, you know, tithing is an Old Testament thing. Here Paul says tithing is for now, even so. Even so, it's the same way today. Even so, even so, today. Just like it was in the Old Testament, they would bring their offerings to the temple. It would feed and take care of the ministry of the temple, take care of the priests. Even so, we do the same thing today. I always like that little part there. Even so, it's the same as today. The principle is still the same. They would, the Old Testament Jews would give 10%. And I appreciate God for giving us a number because in my mind, you know, I kind of wonder, well, how much do I give? I mean, how much am I supposed to give? Because in your mind, you're thinking, well, if I love God, I should give it all. But obviously, God, I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? Because, I mean, you've got to live. You've got to pay your rent and got to do this and that. So I'm grateful God at least give a starting place. He said, look, start with 10%. And they would give a tenth of their gross incomes to the Lord. Now, the way the Jews actually did it was they would give a 10% once a year. They would give 10% quarterly. And then they'd give a 10% every time they got some sort of payment. Not all of them, very few of them actually had weekly paychecks. They had more where they would have a crop or they would have flocks or things like that. So it came in kind of alternately. Actually, someone added up what the average Jew gave. It was 22.5%. That's what they actually gave in the Old Testament. Even so, now whether we give 20 or whatever, I, I know a great place to start is 10%. And so we start there and then we begin to give. Even so, just like they did it in the Old Testament, that takes diligence to get after that because there is so much that needs to be done. Paul said, look, we have got to take care of the ministry. Genuine giving takes old-fashioned diligence, or as we might say it, put your money where your mouth is. And you know, I'm, that's a good thing for us to say today because, you know, we all know this world we live in is terrible. I mean, there's so much stuff going on, and we have a tendency to kind of complain about it, and maybe rightly so, certainly to a point. But I would say this, if you are complaining about this world, but you are not giving to a church that is trying to change the world, then my friend, put your money where your mouth is. You have no right to complain about the world if you are a greedy person. Let's get out there and get behind this thing. And like the Apostle Paul said, Man, he said, we have got something we've got to get done, so let's be diligent about this. Let's, let's not just let this um, go by the wayside. Number two, genuine giving not only is managed by diligence, but he said genuine giving is manifested by deity. He said, I'm sure everybody here wants a good example. Let me give you one. As Brother Mike Sekula said he just picked out one example of Ryan McCarthy, and I, I like the way he said that because there are so many, and the same thing is true here. Paul is saying, you want a great example about giving? Let's talk about the greatest giver of all, Jesus Christ. Verse number nine. In fact, let's read verse nine together, would you, out loud? 
Ready? Verse 9. Ready? Begin. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ was rich. No, he was super rich. He was the 1%. No, he was the top one of the 1%. He was uber rich. Nobody has ever been richer than Jesus Christ. He was equal in power and glory with the Father. Yet not only did he become a man, but he became a poor man. We often marvel at someone who says they're going to give away half of their income. I read recently that the founder of Domino's, Tom Moynihan, said he was going to give away half of his great fortune to charity. Other great people have signed an agreement saying they pledge so much of their income. And actually, that does a lot of good. It really does. I was grateful to hear that our missionary in Vanuatu was saying that the, um, what's that uh, disease? Um, I forget the thing. Um, anyway, one of the mosquitoes uh, spread it, but malaria, there it is. He said malaria has, uh, is almost but vanished in, in Vanuatu. And the reason is because uh, the Gates Foundation bought uh, tens of thousands of nets for people to place over their beds. And um, so, because the way malaria is spread is it infects and they buy those little mosquitoes, take an infected person and it takes that blood and then pokes another person and that's how it spread. So that it's, but now in that one, if I thought, now I have no idea whether the Gates are born again Christians and, from what I read, probably not. But I will tell you this. They were using their money for something great. And they have helped really keep down the spread of malaria in that South Pacific island. Now, that's what we need to do with our resources. We get this sense about money that it's an end. We don't understand that it's a means. It is, it is given to us as a vehicle. The whole theology of money is just a unique thing. But here is Jesus. He is born, in, and, and as great as it is for Moynihan or the Gates or whoever to give away their millions or even billions, the fact is nobody has given more than Jesus Christ. He gave more than anyone, and He gave so that we could be made rich in blessings and rich in eternal life and made an heir of the kingdom. Now, what would Jesus say to us today? What, was the, what would be the one thing that he would leave with us? Do you know that the, there is only one recorded statement that Jesus ever made outside of the Gospels? Now, we know that we're told in the book of John that if, we could, if, if they could record all the words of Jesus, the entire world could not even hold that book. I mean, all that he was, all that he did, he spoke so much. But there's only one recorded verse outside of the Gospels that's a red-letter verse. And what is it? It is found in Acts 20 and verse 35. And I think it's significant that God let us know that the one thing God is interested in in this great church age is found here. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. The last part of that verse says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say that little statement together. Ready? 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let's look at that word blessed. Blessed. How many would say this morning that despite maybe how you might feel or despite all the stuff that's going on, you would have to say this morning that you know you are truly blessed. Would you just lift your hand? Amen. I'm blessed. I am blessed. All right. Now, how many of you would say you like, you're, you're thankful for those blessings? I mean, you like being blessed. You raise your hand. I like being blessed. Okay. Amen. All right. How many would like to be more blessed? Like to be more blessed? Oh, pastor, I know you're leading me down this line here. Well, I just gave you the verse, so you don't, shouldn't be any <laughs> surprise to you. More blessed. More blessed, the Bible says, it is to give than to receive. Now, I love receiving. I, I love receiving when it's a thoughtful gift. I just, I love receiving. It's a blessing. Someone gives you some, sometimes at the, someone plays something at my desk there. They give us some chocolate cheap cookies or some dear family gave me a wonderful book the other day and others will do this. And that's just blessing. It's a great blessing. But as great of a blessing it is to receive those little thoughts, the Bible said it's more blessed to give it. More blessed. That alone should make us line up to be part of the offering. If we want to be more blessed, if we want to be like Jesus Christ, then let's give. Let's not just thinking about receiving, let's think about giving. Now, anything that just always receives but doesn't give is pretty soon going to be sick. It's going to be a sick, uh, whether it's a human body, whether it's a, a, a body of water, if it doesn't give out, it's just going to get rancid and terrible. And there's too many Christians today that are literally, they are Christian hoarders. I mean, they are hoarding. I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm grateful for all the teaching that we've been getting on, on, give, on uh, how to f- take care of your finances and make sure that you have your things in order, but Let's never forget that the greatest thing you can do for your finances is give. I'm all for saving. I'm all for, you know, using whatever wise financial products and all that kind of thing. I'm all for a budget. But folks, all of that means nothing if we are not givers. The Bible says giving is the thing that makes us healthy. Here, I want you to do something for a second. If you're right-handed, take your right hand and just... I want you to grip it real hard. If you're left-handed, take your left hand and just grip it real hard. Let's grip it real hard. Just, I mean, as hard as you can possibly grip it. I, if you have arthritis, I don't want you to start yelling out in pain or something, all right? But, and don't pass out, but hold on right now, okay? Just give it a good, solid grip. Or if you're left-handed, grip, come on. Grip that thing hard. Come on. Grip it hard, okay? Grip it. Just grip it. Come on. I mean, until it's hurting. Is it hurting yet? Anybody hurting yet? Come on now. Grip it hard. All right, now let go. Oh, does that feel better? How many, is it, how many would agree it feels better to let go? It does. It feels better to let go. But I tell you one thing, if you grip that money, man, oh boy, man, and some folks, I mean, they've gone past prudent. They've gone past the frugal. They've gone past cheap. I mean, tell you, they act like they are destitute. They're on their last nickel. I mean, uh, they're squeezing that old nickel until the buffalo's running around. And... Uh, squeezing that thing. Folks, we can't be Christian uh, hoarders. Jesus said, you are blessed. You'll be more blessed if you'll be a giver. It is managed by diligence. It is manifested by deity. Genuine giving is marked by doing. 
Now he said, good intentions are wonderful, but you've got to take care of this. You've got to do it. Look at verse 10. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedience, the best thing for you, who have begun before, not only to do, but to be forward a year ago. You made this plan about giving to this offering. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. Say that with me, the first part of verse 11. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness of will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Basically, he says, good intentions are great. They're beautiful things. I mean, every spring we have all these intentions. They come in the form of buds and blossoms. And we get the idea that there's probably going to be these wonderful fruit. You drive down the road uh, there, down I-5, and you'll, there's a certain spot there for about an hour if you're headed down to Los Angeles. The certain We used to do it at spring. And all these orange blossoms. I mean, if you have your windows cracked, I was just like, man, it's just amazing. Orange blossoms are amazing. Anyway, it's beautiful. And for like a solid hour, you're smelling all this until you get to Harris Ranch. And a little, little different smell there. But, um, boy, I mean, it's just wonderful. Now, you get the intention that there's going to be a whole bunch of oranges. Mandarin oranges, navel oranges, all those wonderful oranges. But now, wait a second. What would happen if there was a blossom but no fruit? We would say that's a good intention, but there's no fruit. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, Intentions are beautiful. They smell wonderful. But if it comes to nothing, that's just ridiculous. It's terrible. Verse 12, for if there first be a willing mind, and it does start with a willing mind. Are you willing? <laughs> that's part of the problem. Some folks are not even willing. I, I don't even want to listen. I don't even talk about it. I don't even want to think about it. But if you're willing, then it is accepted according to that that a man hath, and not according to that which he hath not. God said, I can't expect everybody to give the same amount as far as number-wise. He said, here's a man that is a millionaire, and he gives 100000 That's 10%. That's a great gift. But here's a man who's a thousandaire. He gives $100. He's given 10%. He's saying, I accept the hundred. I accept the thousand. I accept the hundred thousand. I accepted on what you have left over, not on the amount that you gave. And that's the point here. He said, now, I perform the doing of it. Now, there's two ways I see in these verses to give. One is based on a promise, more blessed if we'll give, but the other is based on obedience. Now, and I'm grateful that God reminds us in both areas. He said, now, you ought to give because it's a promise. I think we ought to give because it's a great thing for the kingdom. I think it's a great thing for Jesus Christ. I think it's a great thing for our own life. But honestly, some of those things don't always motivate me because I see a lot of other stuff I could do with my money. So then it comes down to simply obedience. And that's what he says here. Now perform the doing of it. Just do it. Just take care of this. One of our favorite hymns is Trust and Obey. I love that because it gives really the essence of the Christian life. Trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying. Trust His promises obey his commandments. That's, there you go. I mean, that's pretty much puts it in a nutshell. And the, thing, the same thing comes down to our giving. We ought, to, we ought to do it because it's the right thing to do. We ought to give it our all because 
Just do it. Just take care of it. Be diligent about it. Get behind this thing. Don't just let, you know, things get in your way. Folks, if, you are, if we're not intentional and purposeful in our giving, it'll just go away. And that's one reason why we use these envelopes, because every week you can say, okay, did I give? Did I give? Or some folks, you know, can have a recurring gift, whatever the case is. I think it's wonderful to just have this obedience factor in my giving. I think we ought to give because it's a promise, but honestly, sometimes I don't feel the promise. God says, that's okay. Give because it's the right thing to do. Give by obedience, give by promise. Either way, it's a good thing to do. I read this week about a pastor, Pastor Eric Holstrand. He was preaching one Sunday, and while he was preaching, an elderly lady in the church fainted. And when she fainted, she struck her head on the end of the pew, and I mean, she was out cold, out like a light. Immediately, one of the uh, medical professionals in the church, an EMT, called an ambulance. They came, put her on a stretcher, and they got ready to head out the door. Just then, Mary regains her consciousness, and she looks over, blurry-eyed, sees her daughter, motions for her daughter to come near. Everybody was watching. They were touched, thinking she probably were about ready to give her last words to her daughter. Her, law, her daughter leans over close to her mouth, and the mother pulls her close, elderly lady, and she says, honey, my offering is in the purse. My offering is in my purse. I mean, that's the one thing she thought of at the time she was about ready to go out of that building. Thankfully, she did. She was okay, but the pastor said, you know what? I tell you, that is one dedicated woman right there. I mean, with her last breath, she wanted to make sure she gave that offering. My offering is in my purse. Four arguments to stir up the church to giving. Number one, genuine giving is managed by diligence. It is manifested by deity. It is marked by doing. And finally, this morning, it is measured by design. This is a great important principle because people were probably thinking, man, I don't know how to, I don't know how to really juggle all this. And here's what he said, verse 13. Now, I mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality. Now, it's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. That now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. And in that way, you pay it forward so that their abundance may also be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. As it is written, and now he quotes an Old Testament principle again. He's going to go back to the Old Testament and say, remember this? He that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. Now, for whatever reason, God in His sovereign will decides to give some people more of the finer things of life than others. Now, let's think about that. God in His design designs to do that. He may give that person just a little extra ability in the mind to be a businessman. He may just provide opportunities that he never gave anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean he loves you more. It doesn't mean he loves a person who had less of those. That's not the point. God just does that. That's just what he does. That's his sovereign design. It's just kind of how we look, the same thing. He makes some people just have this wonderful head of hair and others not. He gives some people this wonderful, you know, looks or what. I mean, God has some people have the mental horsepower, man, and they're like a 16-cylinder engine. Others, you know, of us are like a four-cylinder Volkswagen. 
But all of us have different minds. We have different body looks. We have different things that God gives us. God is sovereign. He does what He wants. Now, in all of that, He's not meeting so that some people He's more happy with and they, He just allows them to have a better lifestyle as far as the nicer things of life. But Paul explains this. He said, why is that? Why does God do that? And he uses an illustration from the Old Testament. He said, you remember in the Old Testament when we were all out there in the wilderness, or Israel was? He said, here's how it worked. He said, everybody in the family would go out and get something. Everybody. Mama had to go out. Daddy had to go out. The oldest son had to go out. Little babies had to go out. Everybody had to go out and collect manna. Now, big, strong daddy out there, he got a big old pot of manna. Little baby got a little tiny pot of manna. And they all came back, and then they would put it into the same pot. And then there would be a commonness, and he said, now here's how it works. He said, big daddy, he got the big pot of manna. That wasn't so that he could just get big and fat and eat more, and then the little baby had to eat this much. No, the baby got to eat a whole lot more than he was able to pick up because he was a baby, or maybe the person was old and they just can't bend over or they're not very fast or their arm hurt or their leg hurt. So they just really didn't have much to, they weren't able to get as much man as somebody else. And so God said, the way it works is, is that God puts it out there so that we can all learn to share. We can share in the kingdom. We can share with each other. And that's his point on this whole thing. He said, there's an equality. Now he's not talking about communism. He's just talking about God gives the opportunity for those who have more to give. And those who have less, they can still give. They just can't give as much. And those, but what happens is everybody gets blessed. Now he said, now in that, you don't realize is that that old, that big daddy who is strong, there may come a day when he's weak. But by being, by giving when he was able to give, now that he's weaker, then somebody else will take up for him. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus said it this way, and this is perhaps the most amazing verse from the mouth of Christ about giving. Look at Luke 6, 38. Now, the actual context of this is about um, forgiveness, but really the chapter includes about financial things. Chapter 6, verse 38, give. Now, just stop right there. Give. <laughs> and I, I always like sermons. I like statements that have an verb up front. I like that. Give or pray or, you know, I like, I like verbs. Give, Jesus said. Give. And though if you read the lexicon, it will say it's in the durative. It is, means give and give the continuous. Give and give. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom without the same measure there's that word. The measure you give, it, the measure you meet with all it shall be measured to you again. Now, the symbolism here is from the Middle Eastern grain. Uh, you would go and uh, you would uh, buy some grain at the market. And the way that they would measure out the grain is that a man who uh, would measure it, he would take a pot or a basket or whatever, and he would pour it about three-quarter full, and then he would shake it, he would swish it, and uh, then he would press it down, and then he would pour some more. And then he would shake it, he'd swish it, he'd pour some more. And he would do that several times until it started to get it up to the top. Then they would put their hand in the middle, according to what I read. They would kind of dig a hole, 
And then they would pour more in the hole. And then they would push that down. And they would do this several times. And the person, of course, is watching the whole time because they want to make sure if they're paying for this much, they want to get everything they possibly can. It's kind of like going to the Chinese restaurant, you know, and you're watching them put it in that little takeout thing. And they pour it in there. You think, man, how are they going to? And then they, I love it when they pile it up that, that high above the little thing. And then they push it down like that, you know. And then they fold it over. I'm like, yeah, come on now. I like you. I, I don't like going to Panda, you know, and they, they give you two little pieces of chicken. Here you go. Here's your chicken. And, uh, well, good night. You could get five more chickens in that spoon. Come on, put, come on, put it in that spoon there. And, uh, but being the nice man I am, I never do anything. I'm smiling. I'm thinking, put a little more chicken in that spoon there. But, uh, that's what they do. They're putting it in there, and they're pressing it down. Now, he said, it said, they'll give into your bosom. Now, here, it's, the King James is a little bit strange there, but um, what it means is they'll put it, they'll th- literally means they drop it in your lap. So what they would do is they wore long garments with a sash. Men and women both wore them. They were different, but uh, similar. And so they would take their long garment. They would pull it up through their sash to create like a big pocket. And then they would hold it out. And then the person would take that measurement and throw it into their lap. You read about that in Ruth chapter 3. She did the same thing. And she, she got those handfuls on purpose there and she took it back. So what God is saying here is that I will drop into your lap not just a, le- not just a couple pieces of chicken. I will just put it on you. I will just throw it on you if you will give. Now, in this principle, it brings up a great reminder what theologians call the principle or the law of reciprocity. Now, that's a big word, reciprocity, but it just means reciprocate. The law of reciprocity. We see it in nature. I mean, there, is, there are laws. I mean, it just, there are laws. You, there's the law of gravity. It's, just, it's a law. You can't break it. It's, gravity always is there. That's just the way it works. It is a law. You, there's an equal and opposite reaction. There's a law of reciprocity. It happens in the human life. I mean, it, we, we, we give friendliness, we, and we get friendliness. We give anger, we get anger. It's just a law, the absolute law. You say, well, how can I make my marriage better? Be nice. Amen. Well, I mean, honestly, there is the law of reciprocity. You're nice, they're nice back. If you want it to be a bad marriage, just get mean. Yeah, they'll be mean. It's just a law. That's the way it works. And that's what God is saying here. He is saying, when you give to God, God always gives back. Notice what it says. Give, and it might come back to you. Is that what it says there in that verse? No, it says it shall be. It is going to happen. Now, God doesn't give a promise of how much. He doesn't give a promise of what. But he said, here's what we, I'll guarantee you. If you will give to God, God will give back to you. That's the first principle. The second principle is God gives with the measure that you give. That's the second principle. That's the second law of reciprocity. Not only does he give when you give, but he gives in the measure. And that's what he says very clearly. With the measure you give, that's the measure he, you get. Some people wonder about why they're so, things are so tight. Well, I mean, first of all, you're not tithing. What do you think? I mean, 
really? Just like that's a, it doesn't take a brain trust. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. I mean, folks, you can't, you can't be chintzy with God and greedy with God and think that he's just going to pour out because you're just such a nice person. Folks, it is a law. That's a, the gravity works for everybody. The same thing in God's kingdom here. It is an absolute law. And I will say this, folks, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I would hope that we would say, you know what, God, I am here and I thank God for what I've given. We're not going to be judged by how much uh, we uh, have done, but we're going to be judged by what we have done, not by what we couldn't do, but what we can do. You'd say, well, I can't give a thousand dollars. Well, if God says you give what you do have, and that's what, the way God works. The main things to do is just let go of that stuff and let God take over and let him have control of it. And when we do that, God just gets, God will just pour out his blessings on us. You'd say, what is the definition of genuine giving? For me, the definition of genuine giving is this. It is just giving more than we can and just keep giving. It's not a certain amount. It's just giving more than we can. It's starting with a certain amount, and it's just giving. And it's just saying, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to let you. I'm going to give you the keys to my life, and you take care of the rest. Recently, I had to get tires put on my Volkswagen. Now, for those, most of you know that I drive a 1958 Volkswagen. It's my daily driver. And, um, but it's got its issues. Um, it, uh, it's a very unique car. It has certain sounds, and it, it breaks a certain way, and you have to hold the shift pattern a certain way. I mean, it's just not normal. And I kind of gave up teaching all of our daughters to drive. I finally just said, that's it. I, one, it. One daughter convinced me. She'd said, okay, I'm willing to try, but I don't get, I don't get the point of why we have to shift. And uh, why don't we just have an automatic car? It makes more sense. I'm like, you know what? You're right. What is the point? And uh, it's, it's, okay, we just forget it. And, uh, but anyway, I had to get my car, uh, the tires on it, so I took it to the tire shop. Now, that little car is my little baby. I, I'm the only one that drives it. And you have to fig- I mean, you have to know when to put on the brake. You have to push in the clutch. The, the, the shifting is different. And reverse, nobody can find reverse because you have to push down. And I don't even know where it is. I just know what my hand does. And uh, so... I, I gave, so I said, okay, take care of the tires. He said, okay. He said, where's the keys? And I, I was like, I really don't want to give you the keys. I'll, I'll drive it in. No, you can't drive it in, sir. I'm thinking, give you the keys to my car? You're going to put that thing through the back end of that garage. I mean, you don't even know how to stop it. You don't even know how to start it. You don't even... and, the, and the one guy said, he's, one guy over there says he's driven a Volkswagen before. I said, all right. I said, you know how to get it in reverse? He said, he said he does. And I said, okay. And so I handed the keys over, you know. Oh, Lord, help my Volkswagen. And uh, sure enough, they went in there and they changed it. Thank God they, they got it and they backed it out. Hallelujah. It went, all went good, except for my hubcap flew off about five miles later. But, uh, but here's the deal. I had to just give them the keys. I just had to give them the keys. If I wanted my tires fixed. If I wanted to get those blessings, I'd just give them the keys. Most of us in our life, we're, we're just so busy driving it ourselves. We're so, so busy with all our little ins and outs, all our little idiosyncrasies. We just won't give the keys to Jesus to our life. We'll just say, Lord, I, you know, truth of the matter is, if we give ourselves to the Lord, 
All the other giving is easy. But the fact is, most of us are holding back from our heart. We're holding back in our life. You know, when we, what's the most exciting thing? What's the thing that you look forward to most about church? Well, truth is, the thing that we ought to look forward to most, the first thing in Scripture about worship is giving. It really is. I mean, that ought to be the moment we just say, man, I can't wait to give. I can't wait. This is just, it is a thrilling part to know that I am doing God's will. And the Bible gives me a promise, and he also gives me a command, give. 